You know, a lot of people are stuck in their marriage trying to figure how to make it work. And today, once you understand that marriage is a covenant and not a contract, and if you will operate according to the covenant principles, then you can have the marriage that you've always dreamed of. And so today, whether you're single, planning on getting married someday, or you just got married, or you've been married for 50 years, I'm going to walk you through these principles, these covenant principles, that if you will do these divine instructions in your marriage, I believe that you can have the marriage you've always dreamed of. I mean, for instance, think about it. Who taught you about marriage? How did you learn about it? For me, it was Princess Bride. Any 80 fans in the house? Come on. Right? Right? So it's like, what is that? Google it. Anyway, uh, Netflix, if it's on there. Who taught you about marriage? Someone taught you about marriage. Maybe you saw it from your parents and that modeled the marriage for you. Maybe you came to church and someone talked about marriage. Maybe you went to a family marriage marriage and you were there and you were a flower girl. I, I don't know. Maybe for you it was Hollywood. Maybe uh, movies, a romance novel and, or, or a culture but somehow you formed and shaped your thought of marriage and that was instilled to you uh, through maybe, again, through parents, through church, through the world, through culture, and you had this worldview of what marriage looks like. And so today I'm gonna talk to you as we finish this series called Real Marriage. And we're gonna have real relationships and we talked about being the real you and the real relationship. What does a real marriage look like? So if you're here again, watching online, or you got our Grace in Campus uh, or in the house and you're thinking about getting married, this is for you. Uh, in fact, this is really for you because now you're gonna know before you, you jump in and commit to this covenant relationship. You know, back in Genesis chapter one through you know three, that's the first three chapters, we see God design a lot of things. He, he has the heavens and the earth and he creates all the animals and he tells the water to stop right here and this is gonna be land and this is gonna be sea. There's light, there's dark, there's all these great things and he creates man. And he goes through and he says, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But there's one thing that God said in the beginning that wasn't good. And God said that it's not good for man to be alone. And at that moment, he put Adam into a deep sleep. And the Bible says he took a rib from Adam and he created this woman and he brought the woman to Adam and says, this is your wife. God instituted marriage. It's, it's, it's fascinating when you read your Bible, the Bible begins with a temporary marriage between Adam and Eve, but then it ends in the book of Revelation with a permanent marriage between Jesus and the church, who we are the bride of Christ. Marriage is threaded all the way through all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament because there's a symbol that God wants us to see. And when we understand what the foundation, really what marriage is, then we can live and execute it to the fullest. We could, be, we could have the kingdom marriage that has the divine blessings in it that God wants for you and that God wants for me in our relationships. But so many people think that the primary reason for marriage is happiness. And when happiness goes away, and when you're not happy anymore, then if I'm not happy and God wants me to be happy, right? Because that's God's will for my life is for me to be happy. And marriage is based on happiness that I need to go find it somewhere else. And so you begin to look to find something to make you happy. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you do marriage God's way, when you follow God's divine principles for marriage, a byproduct of that, just one, is happiness. 
fulfillment, satisfaction in your marriage. And so that's what I wanted to look at today is, is really what does this mean to have a real marriage? And what was the whole reason for marriage in the first place? And everybody has their different views and opinion about that. But let's start first with the foundation and then we'll walk into the, the, the divine principles, the covenant principles that if you do, you could have the marriage that you've always, always wanted and that you've always dreamed of. You know, one of the things, if we're thinking about a foundational view of marriage, one of the reasons that God created marriage in the first place, the Bible says that he created them male and female, and the Bible says in our image, which is plural. And at this moment, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Please note there's a system, there's an order to that. Though they are one, they have three separate entities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit says, let's create male and female in our image. Because one of the things that God wanted to do was reflect his glory in his image to a lost and dying world. And if you are the enemy, aka known as Satan, and you're trying to distort God's image, one of the biggest things you're going to go after is destroy God's marriage, his institution between one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for the rest of your life. Because if we can break that up, change people's mindset, change their perspective, then maybe we can stop God's glory being shown through a covenant marriage relationship. Marriage is a big deal. And God instituted this. And it is one of the main reasons is to reflect his glory to the world before us. But that's not the only reason was to reflect his glory. It was also to be fruitful and to multiply. You see, God is a God of order. God is a God of system. And God wants to transfer through generations by advancing his kingdom through the family, through you. So God says, let's ordain this, let's structure this in such a way that we create a family, that through the family that I can advance my kingdom for generations and generations and generations to come. So it's just not about you. It's about how do I live and model this for the next generation that comes as I reflect God's glory, as I reproduce offsprings to continue to advance the name of Christ, not my last name, but to advance the name of Christ, to build and raise up kingdom children that changes generations for generations to generations. God is a generational God. And God looks at it from generations to generations. So if you are the devil, what would you think you would try to do? You would do everything in your power to destroy families. Because by distorting, distorting the truth about families and marriage and destroying them, then maybe I could, you know, destroy God's image and hinder the kingdom of God from being advanced from generation to generation to generation. And that's what we see that the enemy has done. Have you noticed, just an observation, that Satan never messed with Adam until Eve came on the scene? Theological nugget there, Satan was always here. Satan was already here. He, was already, he didn't show up after Eve just happened to come onto the scene. He was already there waiting, seeing what God was gonna do. There's another whole sermon to all that, how that got there, and it's fascinating. I wish I had time to, to jump in to that. But he was already there, and he did not touch Adam until Eve came on the scene until she was in the picture. 
So the foundation of marriage is one is to reflect and God's glory to reproduce and advance God's kingdom and then to rule dominion. He says, I'm going to give you the reins. I'm going to give you the keys. You can rule over this dominion, this place, God. You will rule the land. You will rule the sea. You will rule the animals. You will rule. So Adam and Eve in a sinless, perfect state, you're to reflect God's glory. You're to replicate and reproduce and you are to rule and have dominion over the earth. Now, last Sunday night, we had our, our marriage night. If you missed it, man, I, I, I encourage you, make sure you try to get part of that or try to see if you can make sure you be part of it next year. But one thing that we did on marriage night is we got together and we were able to renew our vows. No matter if you've been married one year or 47 years, you got to look at your spouse in the face and the words that you said that mean nothing to you when you got married because they were just some words that some random, probably old preacher said to you and you just repeated it because you were just super excited about getting married and you didn't even know what you were saying. You said, I'm blinded by love. I do, I do, I do. And yes, 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 for better, for worse, richer, poorer, all that stuff, sickness and health. I'm there to the end. Yes, 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 I get it. Let's just, you know, let's go. Now you get to look at each other in face. And now because you have been through rich and poor and sickness and in health and good times and bad times, now those vows mean something when you look at your spouse in the eyes and repeat them to them. Now you know the weight. Now you know what that means. Now you know what you, you've carried. And if you miss that, I've actually, we put together these short, videos about five minutes long, three to five minutes where I broke down every seven vows. I broke down the vows of what they mean. So if you're single and you're watching this or listening or you're here, you need to text challenge to the BCL text line right now. And we're going to send you one a day for the next seven days, because before you make that covenant commitment, you better know what those vows mean. What does it mean to, you know, that I take you to have and to hold for better, for worse. What does that even mean? So I break that down and said, this is what that means. So you know, going into your marriage, this is what you are committing to in a covenant relationship. And it is a covenant relationship. And the problem with society today is that we want to treat marriage like a contract, not a covenant. We're looking for ways, how can we get out of this? We're writing it in ways that protect us and not the other party. But you did not enter into a contract when you got married. You enter into a covenant. Covenants are big deal. Covenants are big deal to God. God makes covenant with Abraham, with Noah. We go on. He made a covenant with you. And he said, here's the new covenant with my blood. I loved you so much that my covenant is written in blood, that my son shed his blood for you and died for you, that if you will repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in him, I will make a blood covenant with you, that I will take you from a foreigner and I will place you in the family to God. And no matter how bad our relationship or fellowship gets, I will never undo what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And I write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm gonna make a covenant with you, signed in blood, written in blood, that can never, ever, ever be destroyed. God takes covenant seriously. He says marriage is a covenant. Just like I've made a blood covenant with you. And every time you take communion, you are reminded of the covenant that my blood was shed for you, that my body was broken for you, and that I died for you. Covenants are a big deal. In fact, the prophet Malachi says this, verse two, chapter two, verse 14, the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. She is your marriage companion and your wife by contract? Get rid of it when I want to get rid of, when I'm not happy, when the bills are not getting paid. Covenant. What is a covenant then? 
If marriage is a covenant and not a contract, what is a covenant? Well, a contract is a legal document really exercised by the government or by the state. That's a contract. But a covenant is an agreement that's recognized and actually regulated by God himself. A contract's normally between two people. A covenant's between two people and God. When I looked at my wife and I said, I do, I will, I just didn't say that to her. I said that to him. So a covenant is not just between, a contract's just between two people, but a covenant is between two and one, between me and God and my wife. And I am committing to her for the rest of my life. You see, a contract creates limited liabilities and opt-out clauses to protect me, <clears throat> prenups. To protect me. But see, a covenant is permanent. It embraces unlimited responsibility no matter what. See, a contract demands mutual benefits. If you, I will. What's in it for me? What's in it for you? That's a contract. That's a contract marriage. What's in for mine? What's in for me? You do this and I do that. It's 50-50. But a covenant seeks joy through mutual sacrifice that we both will sacrifice for each other. You see, when it comes to a covenant, a covenant is a divinely created bond. It's a bond between you, God, and your spouse when it comes to the marriage covenant. And listen, the covenant is designed to benefit you, right? It's all about you, at least you think it is. You want benefits from it? Do you want, do you want God's divine blessing on your marriage? Then there are divine principles that if you will live by, he will bless. See, the word covenant means covering. And if you will follow the covenant's guiding principles, rules, or regulations, if you'll if you'll do it, the covenant will cover your marriage. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you in here who are married or plan to get married someday, you hope and pray that God covers your marriage? He says, there's a way for me to do that. And it's found in the guiding principles. It's found in divine instruction. And if you'll just do these things, then I will cover your marriage. So today, you can have the marriage, if you're not experienced the marriage that you've always wanted, it may be because you're not operating by these divine principles. But I believe that if you've entered into this covenant marriage and you will operate under these principles, instructions, you will have a long, satisfying marriage, the one that you dreamed of when you got married. So what would they be? What are those things? Now, I'm not so naive to believe that in the next 19 minutes, it's going to fix all your marital problems. I understand that. But today, you can leave here knowing what to do if you want God's divine blessing on your marriage. No matter if you're about to get married, you've already been married, I believe, I believe that if God can resurrect his son from the dead, he can resurrect your marriage from the dead. I believe if you will now repent and get back into God's divine order and God's divine instructions in your marriage, I believe that God will give you back the years that the enemy stole from you. What the locust came and ate up in your life, I believe God can restore and have the best marriage you've ever had in your entire life. Welcome to Better Life Church. We believe that. But there is some things that we must do and there's some things that we have to walk through. So if you, if you, if you, if you want to know how to have God's divine blessing on your marriage and if you're ready to get started, that was all introduction. So let's go. All right, seven married couples. Woo, here we go. The first thing when it comes to a covenant, what you got to understand is, is that there's an order. God is a God of order. God is a God of systems. 
Everything has an order. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's an order. There's a hierarchy. There's an order there. Even though the one, they're the same. The, the, the uniqueness in what they do, there's an order. Our universe has an order, has a system. Gravity has an order. Has a, Your body has tons of systems. And if those systems do not work because God created you, then your body dies. Everything that God does has an order. Everything that God sets in place has a system. Science Praise the Lord, it's finally catching up to God. And even confirms more that there's a God of order, there's a system, that there is a creator, because there's a creation. This cannot just happen. There's systems. This is like it, it dumbfounds even the wisest people who hearts are hardened just to admit that there has to be a creator. God is a God of order. And in this order, God has created this hierarchy system when it comes to to marriage. Now, my wife and I, we are equal when it comes to the person. We're equal in value to God. We're equal in worth to God. We are equal. God doesn't love her more than he loves me or loves me more than he loves her. God doesn't value her more than he values me or values me more than he values her. So when I say order, I'm not talking about value or the person. I'm talking about the position. God has orchestrated positions in the family for the family to operate that if they do, God will say, I'll have my divine blessings upon it. And I will give you, the, give you the, the marriage that you've always wanted. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. But there's one thing I want you to know. God is this God of order. There's this hierarchy system. And what do you mean by that? The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. I know that's not politically correct to say today, but let me unpack that for you just in a moment. And the head of Christ is God. Look at this system in order. God says, I am over my son. Jesus says, I only do what the Father shows me and tells me to do. I submit to the Father's will. Man, you're under Jesus. And husbands, you're over your wives. There's a position when it comes to marriage. Not a value. It's not what I'm talking about, but there is a position because everything God created has an order and the order that he sees or the position is the position of responsibilities, not skills and talents. My wife is way smarter than me, man. I mean, she is way smarter than I'll ever be. She got like a MBA and she got like a rank one and graduated summa cum laude. I'd have graduated just saying, thank you, Lottie. You know what I'm saying? I'm out of this mud. Get out of here. Thank you, Lord. Like way smarter. So we're not talking about skills and talents. We're not talking about worth or value. But I want you to notice something. When Satan entered the scene, who did he go to? He went to Eve. Why did he go to Eve? See, Satan was trying to disrupt the order that God has put in place. I'm gonna show you that just in a moment. And for just observation, Eve wasn't even created yet when God told Adam, do not eat from the tree of knowledge. It was his responsibility. It was his positional position in the family to make sure that his wife knows the revelation that God has given for the family. So the enemy goes and tries to attack the order and the rank and attack God's word. Eve, did God really say that you would like die? 
See, God's been attacked in, I mean, the enemy's been attacked in God's word from the beginning. Did God really say marriage is really between a man and a woman? Come on, man. Come on. It's 2020. Did God really say, wait to have sex before you get married? Are you kidding me? But that's so archaic. Did God really say that stuff? See, the enemy's been attacking God's word from day one. So he goes to Eve to try to disrupt the order to bring the vision in the family. And we know the story, right? Eve gives in, sin enters to the world. And what happened? Who did God come and talk to? He didn't go, Eve, come on, girl. What you doing? How can you give in to this guy? What do you say? Hey, Adam, where are you? Why did he go to Adam? Position. It's the man's position, responsibility of the family. Listen to me, sir. You will be held accountable of your family. But we don't want that. We don't want responsibility. We don't want that weight on us. That's God's design. And what does he do? He does what every man do. <laughs> I mean, that girl you gave me, bro, <laughs> that chick, <laughs> this girl, she, that's what he does. He blames. God, this girl that you gave me, she the one that did it. God said, you weren't saying that when I brought her naked to you, bro, was you? You're like, man, this is bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. She shall be called one man. You know what I'm saying? Put some Marvin Gaye on, let's multiply and reproduce, right? Now what happened? Now you're blaming her. So what does God do? He goes to the woman. What's up? What happened? What does she do? Uh, the devil made me do it. We've been blaming people, playing the victim from day one. So God says, I'm going to go to the person in position of the order that I've just divinely described this and prescribed this to be for accountability. Adam, where are you? What have you done? Because if you'll break the order, you will break the blessing. Peter writes this in 1 Peter. He says, in the same way, husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you or a weaker vessel than you, not in value, but she is your equal partner in God's new life. Then watch what he says. Treat her as you should or your prayers will be hindered. If you get out of order what God has put in order, your prayers will be hindered when you begin to pray them. Why? Because there's a covenant principle, divine guiding rules. If you do them, I will cover you and bless it. Step outside of that and you're wondering why you're struggling. Because there's an order when it comes to marriage. I know that goes against everything society says. I know it goes against everything that you've been taught probably, at least if you're young and coming up. If you were a child of the 60s or if you were 20 right now in your 60s, I mean, sorry, if you were in the 60s and you were in your 20s, seven out of 10 people in their 20s were married in the 60s. Today, two out of 10 are married in their 20s. What do we know? People are waiting to get married later in life. In fact, this is the first time in history that people are living longer single than they would being married. They have more years by themselves than they do with the spouse. It's the first time in history that this is happening. 
One, people are waiting to get married longer. Two, they're redefining what marriage is and do I even want to do that or not? Three, let's just shack up and stay together because we can have this contract and really not be committed and I don't have, I'm afraid of commitment so if I don't work out, kick it out, try it out, get somebody else next week. I don't want the commitment. I don't want a covenant. I want a contract. I want what I want when I want that protects me so I can opt out of this anytime I want to get out. Why? Because the grass may be greener on the other side. There might be something better over there. I don't want to commit just yet. Fear of missing out. Because you think marriage or relationship is a contract, not a covenant. And if you're here going, man, I don't even know if I want to get married. Good. Because you should have the weight of what it means to say, I do. If you want a real marriage, the weight that comes with it, it is a covenant, not a contract that we've got to walk out. So not only is there an order to a covenant, there's an order, God sets an order, but there's rules. And if you don't like the word rules, call them principles. If you don't like the word principles, they're guiding God posts. I don't know. What do you want to call it? Rules. If you'll follow these parameters, stick in the guardrails, I will cover your marriage. I will put divine blessings on them. And I believe you can have the marriage you've always dreamed of. Now, I know what somebody's saying. <laughs> you don't know about my marriage. You have no idea who I'm married to. And that's true. And everyone has their own faults and problems. No marriage is perfect. Completely understand that. But there are some principles that if you put in place, it can change the trajectory of your new marriage before you get married or the one you're in now. So there are some rules, some principles. If you wanna to go to Ephesians chapter five, that was all introduction, so really give me eight minutes here. In Ephesians chapter five, that is, if you wanna go home and read it, the context, to keep it in context, this is the marriage chapter. This is where Paul says, here's what a wife does, here's what a husband does. Then goes into chapter six, it says, children, here's how you obey your parents. And then goes on down chapter six, it says, employees and employers, this is how you operate your business. This is how you have an employee and employer relationship. And then on the heels of that, it goes in spiritual warfare. Put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because if you get your house in order and your family in order and your workplace in order, all hell's gonna break loose. You better get spiritual warfare ready. So Paul leads us through, here's what a family looks like, here's what your children, here's how to work in the workplace, and then you better get ready for spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6 is coming. So Ephesians 5 is that family, it's the, it's the, it's the marriage chapter, if you want to say, looking at the roles or responsibilities or the rules that God sets in the covenant. And Ephesians chapter 5, let's go all the way to the end, I'll start in verse 21 just a minute, but all the way to the end there in verse 33, it says this, so I say again, or so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Men, your wife's greatest need is right here in her heart. Ladies, your husband's greatest need is right here in his head. Your wife needs to know that you love her more than anything else on this planet and your love for her. And listen to me, ladies, your husband wants to know that you respect him. These are two areas that I guess the Apostle Paul are inspired by the Holy Spirit that knew that we would probably struggle with these things. So we have a love and we have a respect issue in the family. What does it even look like? Because I can know what you're saying. It's like, I don't respect, it's hard to love. And we got all these reasons because all the problems that we faced. 
But Paul says, now in Christ, here's what this is going to look like. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when God comes to Eve and he says, here's the consequences of the fall. He says this to her. Look what he says. Then he said to the woman, God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancies. Man, come on. Don't you wish that didn't happen? I'm sorry, ladies. I am so sorry. And the pain you will give in birth. But then look, look, look right here. Look at this. Look at this. And you will desire to control your husband. You will want to be first in order because sin has entered into the world. However, but your husband will rule over you. And we have been fighting that battle since day one, right? Where the two shall become one and then they argue the rest of their marriage, who's the one? Who's the one? And God says, sin has warped this and got this out of order. And listen, you will desire to rule, but this is how the order should be. Why? Because sin has entered into the world. And now that there's grace and there's mercy and on this side of the covenant of Christ, right? We know that now we've been saved by grace. Here's something very fascinating. I want you to know for my wife and I, not only are we husband and wife, but both of us have given our life to Jesus. Both of us have adopted into the covenant by his blood on the cross. And now we've been into his family. We're not now. We're also brothers and sisters in Christ. That's very important because Paul starts the marriage talk off by recognizing that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Ephesians 5, 16, 17, 18, and following down before the marriage passage, he says, don't get drunk with wine except be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, don't get intoxicated with the subject, get intoxicated with the Holy Spirit so that he will control you with psalms and singing and praises to the Lord. In that way, verse 21, he says, and further, as you are filled with the Spirit, look what he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is very important as we set this up. So as believers who are Christians and we're married together, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we're adopted into the family of God and we are to mutually to submit to each other. Even me and you. We mutually submit to each other as followers of Jesus Christ. Our love for one another will show this lost and dying world that he lives and that he is real. So knowing that you should submit to one another, listen to what Paul says in verse 22. For wives, this means, so here it is, submit to your husband as to the Lord, as you submit to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body and the church. As the church submits, there's an order, as the church submits to Christ, so wives, you submit to your husband in everything. And then at the end, down in verse 33, he says, so I said again, wife, respect your husband. So what we see, two guiding principles, two divine instructions, submit and respect, submit and respect, respect. And that flies against everything our society and culture is teaching, especially to women. I'm not talking about equality. Yes, it's there. I get it. I understand all that. We're not, we're talking about marriage talking about marriage. There's an order. There's a divine blessing on a position when you operate your marriage the way God operates it. So let me tell you what this is not. This does not mean, sir, that you're demeaning of her. 
It doesn't mean you demand from her or that you degrade her or you treat her like a doormat and walk over her. So listen to me, husbands. If your wife is scared of you, you are failing as a husband. If your wife is on pins and needles every time you walk in the door because she doesn't know how you're going to react, she doesn't know what your temper is going to be, and you demand, 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 and take, 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 listen to me, you are failing as a husband, and it's your responsibility to fix that. So submit doesn't mean that you're the boss, you're the man, like, I'm the man, you better bow down to me like I'm the Lord. If that's you, you just need Jesus, if that's your attitude. Because right before this, he says, as we're filled with the spirit, we submit to one another. It's mutual submission. So ladies, the two guiding principles is submit and respect. And let me just, I'm, I'm not a woman, obviously. When I read the text, here's what I'm sensing and seeing. What Paul is saying is submission is a choice. Like you, this is meekness. Meekness is strength under control with your strength and your power that God has given you, you get to choose to submit. Just as a church submits to Christ, it's just Jesus submits to the Father. Submission, this is not a bad thing. You choose to get to submit. It's not forced on you. It's a choice that you make to show your husband that you are supporting him. Why is that important? Because it empowers him to have the self-respect that he needs. And that really what he wants. And when you do that, you encourage him to carry out God's ordained position to protect and to provide for the family. Because some days God's going to say, Daniel, let's talk about your family. Let's talk about your wife. And when you know God's divine order that I am responsible and she's my helpmate and she helps me with our family that she is going to do everything she can to set me up for success to lead her and my family to be where God wants us to be. Knowing that, she begins to respect and submit. Now, listen, I hear the claws coming out. So y'all hang tight with me, ladies, just in a moment. Because you, here's what you're saying. You're saying, are you kidding me? This joker that I live with, Ain't no way I'm going to submit to him. Ain't no way I'm going to respect him. He gives me no RSPCT. Uh-uh, not up in here. No, no, no. So I, I, I'm with you, ladies. You know what? You're probably right. And some of you guys are going, man, I'll get all Baptist on you. Brother Daniel, you know, Brother Daniel. I tell you, if I had a wife like that. Listen to me, sir, you can. Because what I'm about to share what you are supposed to do? If you would do this, she have no problem following you. She'll have no problem submitting to you. And she'll have no problem respecting you. When you see what God has asked you to do, when you follow in these biblical covenant rules for marriage. So Paul continues on, verse 25. For a husband, here's what this means for you. So wives, as you mutually submit, verse 21, here's what it means, that you submit and respect your husband. But bro, here's what this means for you. It means that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. This is a sacrificial love. This is where you put your wife needs before your needs. 
This is where you die to yourself and you put her first. (laughs) Hey, bro, listen to me. You just do that, she'll follow you. You see how we messed this all up? Because it's all about me. I'm the man. I'm the protector. I'm the provider. It's all about me. What I want, when I want, how I want it. Selfishness is the, one of the biggest enemies to marriages today. But when you give yourself away, when you say, as Jesus gave up everything for the church, I'm going to give up everything for you. How can I serve you? How can I sacrifice for you? How can I put you first before me? Imagine if they just did that. What would your marriage look like? He goes on and says in verse 26 too, he says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. That's very important. He did this to represent her to himself as a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And somebody's like, can I get that eye cream? You know what I'm saying? Like, if my husband can make me no spots, blemish, I'm sorry, that's the coffee. Keep going. Without wrinkle or spot or blemish, instead, she will be holy and without fault. Imagine this sanctifying love. Watch this. Not only do I put you first, and I put your needs first, your wants first, your interests first. And some are like, man, that's marriage. Where did you learn it from? Because this is what God said a divine marriage looks like. You mean that's what I said I do too? That's a covenant. That's why you don't enter in marriage lightly. And imagine to say, not only do I die to myself for you, but I'm going to help you sanctify. What do you mean by that? I'm going to help you go from where you are now to where God wants you to be. And I'm going to lead you through God's word where he will, I will present you as spotless and blemished to the father. I'm going to help you walk through your sanctification process where God makes us more like Jesus. Some of you ladies going, oh, I'll follow him all day, all day. If that boy did that for me. See, the enemy says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Culture says, no, that's not how it works. But listen to me, sir, if you will lay your life down and you would lead her in God's word, and there's two more for you, like, man, she got two, you got four, I know. It's the position. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's the responsibilities. It's not value, it's not the person, it's the position, how God did this. He goes on and says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands, you ought to love the wives as you love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows that he, his love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds it and cares for it or nourishes it and, and, and cherishes it for, for it, just as Christ cares for the church. He says, you are to have this caring love for your wife where you nourish her and you cherish her just as Jesus nourishes and feeds and cherish the church. Could you imagine experiencing that love, ladies? And then when God says, all I'm asking you to do to be part of that is that when he does that for you, that you would submit, encourage him with respect as he leads you to be everything God designed you to be. 
And if you're like me, you lean in going, man, I wish my marriage looked like that. It can. It can. And then he goes on and says in verse 31, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and his mother and are joined to his wife and the two are united into one. That word join means to be glued together. It's a commitment. It's consistent. It's a faithful love. Now imagine, imagine, imagine. You have a husband who looks at his bride and I take you to having a hole for better, for worse, for richer, poorer, sickness and health, to death do his part as long as you both shall live. But really what I'm saying is to you, I'm gonna die to myself every day for you. And I'm gonna help you become everything that God's called you to be. And on, on top of all that, I'm gonna nourish you and cherish you and care for you to make sure all your needs are met. And I want you to know that we're gonna be joined together and I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you because I made a covenant to you and before God. Ladies, you would have no problems then when you heard the word, huh, I respect him that he does that for me. And this is how God designed it. And this is the order of the covenant that God put in place. And these are the divine principles. And if you do this, you'll have marital blessings and you'll have a kingdom impact that can change for generations, for generations and generations to come. And you know, you know what? One of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is found in Judges chapter two. Joshua passes away, Moses passed away, then Joshua took over, Joshua passed away. And Judges chapter two, one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is found in verse 10. And it says this, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. They did not remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. You know, last night I set my 14-year-old down and I set him on the sofa and I said, I said, Logan, I need your help here. He said, yeah, dad. I said, I need some feedback. He said, okay. And me and Leanne were sitting there. I said, how are we doing in our marriage? What type of marriage are we displaying to you, son? Because someday you're gonna get married. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I display to you how you treat a woman, how you love a woman, how you care for a woman. And right before me and your mom, I need some feedback. How am I doing? Am I setting you up for success? Am I showing you what that looks like? And if not, what do you think I need to work on? Some say, why would you ask your kid that? Because marriage is not just reflecting God's glory, it's replicating God's glory through the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And someday when I'm long and gone, I want my family tree to change. I want the world to be changed. And so I asked, if your kids are old enough and mature enough to have that conversation, ask them and then listen. They're like, well, you kind of always yell at each other and slam the cabinets, slam car doors. Then listen to it. You're always arguing. Why are you always argue? I don't know. Well, you argue all the time. Every time, you, every time dad comes home from work, you argue, 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 argue. What's, what's wrong? Ask them, get the feedback. And then make the necessary changes. They're gonna be open, honest with you. Why? Because you're trying to show the next generation, a whole entire generation raised up, did not know the Lord.
because mom and dad. And when that happens, guess who's accountable? Well, it's the Christian school's fault. I outsourced them to the church. I was in Sunday school. I took them to church. I took them to youth. I sit down for a sermon and somebody regurgitated for 30 minutes back to me. Well, for me, 45 minutes. It's the church's fault. It's the government's fault. It's the school system. If we had a better school system, I would teach all this secularism and teach our kids all this crazy stuff. No, it's the family's fault. It's mom and dad. We want to change the world, change your house. One person at a time. But everyone wants to play the victim. And blame, 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 blame. We've been blaming since day one. And God's like, bro, listen, it's you. You're held accountable how you lead your family. You better not take that lightly. You better lead well. Will you make mistakes? Absolutely. You know what I love about a covenant with God? Is that his grace and his mercy is new every day. When I blow it, I tell my kids I blow it. I've repented to my kids. I've asked my kids to forgive me. I said, Dad, you know, I shouldn't have got upset about that. I, would you forgive me? Yeah, Dad, I forgive you. Well, I want to model that to them. That's what I love about God, that in the midst of his covenant, divine blessings, if we repent and draw near and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And guess what? Restores the blessing of the covenant because we repented. You could have the marriage you've always wanted when you operate according to his principles. And raise up the next generation. Why? Because every family needs a mom. Every family needs a dad. There's an order to it that represents the tri-Yukon. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see it. So now listen, if you know that and you're the devil, what are you going to do? You're going to attack the family. You want to destroy mom and dad's marriage. You want to rip the kids apart. You want to help the world and tell them they should redefine marriage between, not between a man and a woman, but between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. You want to distort God's image. You want to create problems in the family. You don't want God's glory to be reflected. You don't want generations to generations to be changed. If you're the devil, well, you're going, he's coming after you. He hates you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Why do you think marriage is so tough? Why do you think parenting is so tough? You have an adversary who's trying to destroy you. And I want to encourage you, however you leave today, stop fighting against each other and start fighting for each other because your marriage is worth it. And I believe the years the enemy's taken away from you, God can restore that. And you can have the marriage that you've always wanted. I'm going to close with this verse. Paul ends this marriage chapter, husband and wife. In verse 32, this is a great mystery. It is. It's a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Talking about the marriage we talked about and the order and the roles. So again, I say to each man, love his wife as he loves himself. And ladies, listen, wives, respect your husband. A lot of people are stuck in their marriage, trying to figure out how to make it work. And now that you understand that marriage is a covenant and not a contract, and by operating according to the covenant principles, you can have the marriage you've always dreamed of. 
I'm gonna ask if you would just to bow your heads. I know one sermon on Sunday morning can't fix all your married problems and I know everyone has individual circumstances and there's probably a lot of you who need professional, professional, godly marriage counseling to work through some of the problems and to be healed, to get back on track to follow these principles. And we want that for you. I want that for you. Because when the family wins, the church wins. The church wins, the world wins. Because people are coming to faith in Christ. And listen to me, sir, and listen to me, ma'am. There's no way that you can carry out these divine principles until you've experienced salvation from the Lord. Sir, you can't love her the way Christ loves the church until you've experienced that love where all your sins are forgiven and you realize how Jesus sacrificed himself for you and humbled himself for you. And ladies, the same goes for you. So the greatest thing you could do for you, for your marriage, for your family, for generations to come is to give your life to Jesus. The Bible says, if I will confess with my mouth and believe in a heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that I will enter a covenant relationship with him. And that covenant has all these blessings that he now takes me from death to life, from enemy to the family. It's sealed with his blood, never to be undone. It's an irrevocable covenant. And you'll be secured for all eternity. God says, that's how much I love you. What do I gotta do to enter that covenant? Believe. And anyone can do it. And if that's you, cry out to the Lord right now. Just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. Now help me live for you and follow you all the days of my life. And if you're struggling in your marriage, take the D word and throw it away. So we're gonna fight for each other. We're gonna reflect God's glory. We're gonna set up for the next generation. Father, you know everyone's heart. You know everyone's problems and deepest, deepest, darkest secrets. You know what keeps us up at night. You know the issues that we're facing. And God, for some, that's a big, big mountain to climb over. But praise be to God that all things are possible through your son, Jesus. That God, that we can have our marriages restored. We can be the reflection of your glory. We can get back in order and principles to receive the divine covering of the covenant and be blessed. And we can have the marriage we've always dreamed of and we've always wanted. And we know it would take work and it would take sacrifice and it would take humility. But with your son, Jesus, we have the power to overcome it. For it says in the name we ask and we pray. Amen.